The Tennessee General Assembly reconvenes for its 60th special session, and Representative David Byrd says he will not seek re-election in 2020. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of August 26th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. We've got a lot to pack in this week, but uh, most importantly, I guess to start out, uh, we need to set up kind of all of that occurred in the last two days of the week. Uh, largely, we want to focus on what occurred on Friday when the legislature got, came back to Nashville for a special session. Uh, Natalie, uh, the stated purpose, of course, was? It was to update some rules uh, that the Supreme Court has on juvenile court and civil and criminal court and things like that. Really, uh no one was talking about or paying attention to. Um, but they also were going to officially uh, vote Cameron Sexton, Speaker of the House. And he received 94, I believe, votes, and uh, two Democrats abstained, uh, Bo Mitchell and Gloria Johnson, uh, really kind of signifying that he has bipartisan support from uh, at least, you know, the the initial get-go. Yeah, and in the, the Democratic caucus meeting before session, there was a little bit of squabbling about whether they were all going to vote for Cameron Sexton, Bo Mitchell, even John Ray Clements, who I guess did vote for Sexton. Uh, they were all saying, you know, we're Democrats. I think Bob Freeman was also sort of saying this thing. We're Democrats. We we need to, to show our constituents that, that we are supporting Democrats and put someone up who's a Democrat, which is what they did uh, when Cassidy was officially sworn in in January. They put up Karen Camper as the Democrat nominee. But this time, uh, Karen Camper essentially told her caucus that it seemed like Cameron Sexton is more willing to work with Democrats than, than Glenn Cassidy was and, and what they see is him extending an olive branch to them through uh, better committee assignments and bipartisan cooperation, they expect. Um, Camper wanted to, to not put someone up against him. Of course, uh, you know, as always with new beginnings, there is always optimism that uh, things might be different, things will be changed. Natalie and I, we had a story uh, that you could check out that's sort of an analysis, deep dive into uh, whether things might change, uh, at least in a dynamic sense, with under the new House leadership. Uh, but of course, Sexton took office, he was sworn in, uh, and the, the session just kind of kept going in the Senate. They didn't really have anything to, to do. Uh, so I briefly stopped by there. It was pretty, pretty ho-hum. Uh, yeah, I heard that they they didn't even want to wait around to pass the the House joint resolutions. No. The, the, the House the House passed the Senate, but the Senate just kind of left and went to their luncheon. Yep, yep. And meanwhile, in the House, there were two significant uh, battles, debates, discussions. One was uh, primarily the the focus of every everybody's attention on David Byrd. Uh, the second was a resolution from John Ray Clemens. Um, but uh, let's unpack the David Byrd uh, scenario. So uh, for those that may have been living under a rock, uh, what happened last week with David Byrd? Well, we and found- let's start with on, on the floor session, actually. Oh, sure. Well, in the floor session, uh, Gloria Johnson, as promised, uh, attempted to bring her resolution to expel David Byrd. He is the legislator accused of sexually assaulting teenagers when he was their teacher and basketball coach in the 1980s. Um, she had filed this resolution to expel Byrd, and um, it, it was not placed on any kind of calendar. She was told that she was going to have to make a motion to suspend the rules if she wanted to get it heard. Um, she actually didn't even get a chance to make a motion to suspend the rules. Um 
Representative Curcio, Michael Curcio, essentially went ahead and made a motion to send that resolution to the Judiciary Committee uh, for the Judiciary Committee to hold a hearing to to compel David Byrd and his accusers to testify under oath. And, and that was an interesting and new development because it was the first time that anybody has actually suggested that idea, right? There there has been talk of due process. There has been talk of uh, he hasn't had a, a fair chance to respond to these allegations. There has been plenty of inviting him to respond, but thus far, no response. But uh, the yep. Judiciary Committee chairman, a Republican, now fully getting behind the effort and, and seemingly backed by leadership to actually hold a hearing on this matter. Yeah, within, within the House Republicans. I think this is the most any of them have been willing to do on this on this topic, what Curcio is doing um, for for months now, I guess a year now, the Republicans have been crying for the need for due process. Um, of course, that was something Glenn Cassidy said all the time that in this country, uh, we are innocent until proven guilty. And I believe that David Byrd is innocent. He hasn't been charged with a crime. And and William Lambert has pointed to the need for due process and, and what happens with David Byrd and whether he faces any kind of discipline. Um, and so on, on Friday, Michael Curcio did what I, I guess makes sense to do if you need due process is, is offered to have uh, a judiciary hearing and investigation into the accusations against David Byrd. Um, it's unclear when that's going to happen, though. So Michael Curcio said, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll bring back the Judiciary Committee as soon as the new speaker gives me the, the OK. Uh, and really, it's prompted by what we heard from Cameron Sexton is going to be what comes out of the attorney yes. general. So uh, then the speaker is saying, well, we're not going to do any kind of investigation until we get a response to my request uh, of the attorney general for an opinion on you know, whether you can expel a member for past conduct before he was in office. Yeah, and that certainly is an interesting opinion because, again, it, 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 I wrote a story that kind of pointed out the, the fact that it, it kind of places the attorney general in a box, right? So if the attorney general says, no, you can't look at a, a past member's conduct, it kind of shuts the door right there. That's, that's you know, a, a decision they can make. Um, but one might argue that the Constitution doesn't really spell out any limitations on what a member can be expelled for. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't appear say, that it does. And so the AG, if they say yes, they can, that really opens a Pandora's box for any activity for any lawmaker at any time, sure. right? Including if they were 20 years old and they drunkenly got in a bar fight or, you know, if they looked at somebody cross, you could make a, a motion to expel a member. Uh, and if the AG comes and says, yes, you can do this, um, uh, or, or, or I'm sorry, if the AG says you, you cannot do this uh, and that the House cannot enact its own rules or whatever, it kind of undermines the AG's current defense of the uh, uh, lawsuit that it, the state is facing from Jeremy Durham in his fight for his benefits. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, it is is worth noting that what David Byrd is, is accused of doing is a, is a crime. The statute of limitations is passed. Um, but, you know, actually assaulting juveniles is a crime as opposed to, you know, looking at someone the wrong way sure. 30 years ago. But yes, you're right. It could open the door for anyone willy nilly for any political reason to to initiate an expulsion vote. It's probably not super likely, but yes, that could happen. The other thing is if the attorney general comes back and said, sure, you know, you guys can do whatever you want. You can expel somebody for whatever you want. Then I think that sort of does force the house into the position of needing to 
to put it up for an expulsion it's vote. It's pretty tough if, to defend if yeah, you don't. If, if the Speaker of the House has, has shown that he's serious enough to ask for an AG opinion on the matter and the AG comes back and says, yes, you can do this, um, it, it wouldn't really make sense at that point for them not to, to put it up for a vote. So those were the main uh, actions that took place on the floor session. There was one kind of confusing move where Gloria Johnson, after having her resolution sent to the Judiciary Committee, tried to motion to expel uh, Byrd outright. And and essentially that motion was sent to the Judiciary Committee, yeah, which that was, makes that was literally no sense according to the House rules. Very strange why, how they can send a motion to Judiciary. But, but you know, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, that. but she was she was doing she was essentially you know taking a, a page from the Jeremy Durham playbook Correct. what what Representative Susan Lynn had done at the time Jeremy Durham was expelled which was just make a motion to expel him. Correct. So and 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 the last thing we needed to talk about related to Bird was before this this floor session got started, uh, there was a caucus meeting a Republican caucus meeting where Bird addressed the uh, the seventy three member caucus and in there we were able to report uh, said that he won't run for real election. This was the first time that he has said this to anybody. Of course, it wasn't public. He had said in there, uh, A, that the opponents to him are out-of-state actors, despite the fact that we have talked to and know of people directly in his district that have been driving this conversation. And uh, the other thing he brought up was uh, that the the liberal media is driving this. And again, it's not just the liberal media that are uh, reporting on this issue. uh, and, And that's an easy quip, right? That's easy easy to uh, contain any allegations against you is blaming on on the other. I mean, Jerry Sexton kind of did the same thing in his pitch sure. for caucus chairman. Sure. Yeah. So uh, we were able to report that. Uh, we asked David Byrd about that uh, report. Here's a quick clip of what he said on the floor, literally less than five minutes before the floor session started. So Coach Byrd, I hear you're not running for re-election. Uh, right now, I don't have any comments on that, but I will I will be having a statement pretty soon. When's pretty soon? Uh, probably uh, end of September. I heard you in there actually say that to the caucus. I had another caucus member confirm that's what your message was behind the caucus door. So now you're saying there is no decision yet? No, I said I was going to make a statement at the end of September. Sure. And you'll, you'll know my you'll know my you'll know my statement then. after that brief little interlude, we wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about the decision last week from the uh, House Republican caucus leadership to close several of their caucus meetings. Essentially, it's been an ongoing thing that has occurred in recent years, but it's become a little bit more prevalent, at least in the last year and a half. Um, These latest discussions range from uh, discussing uh, the fate of one of the members of leadership, uh, David Byrd, addressing the caucus. And then uh, the last one we think may have included an actual vote to kick out a member of leadership, but we don't officially know that because or at the least talking. a no confidence vote again. Yeah, and and we've gotten mixed messaging from caucus leadership about what they're going to tell us during these closed meetings. At one point they said, "Oh yeah, we'll let you know if any vote is taken," and then it sounds like a vote was taken on Friday afternoon at their third closed caucus meeting in you know two days, uh, and they refused to tell us what the vote was. And and so it, really the main 
main question is, uh, what is going on behind those closed doors? We don't really know. So it forces us to uh, kind of just quickly gather information. And you don't know the veracity of it. You don't know uh, multiple accounts from it. It's hard to really kind of get the official record, and especially when we asked leadership, uh, including William Lamberth and the newly elected Jeremy Faison, uh, who is the caucus chairman, they would just say, family discussion, not going to talk about more of it. Um, again, here's a little bit of a clip for you to hear from William Lamberth elaborating uh, along with a couple of our colleagues in the press corps, including Sergio Martinez Beltran of WPLN about caucus closed meetings. So sometimes I think that's just a healthy thing to do to just get everybody in a room and let them talk about whatever topics they'd like. Can you confirm that Rick Tillis was the subject of the discussion at one point? Again, we discussed a, a number of topics today, and we had members that were talking with one another. And, you know, I'm not going to confirm or deny any particular topic that was brought up because it was a closed caucus meeting. But yeah. at the same time, it was a good discussion. You have talked about transparency. Mm-hmm. Every single one of you was sent here by the people of Tennessee. Sure. And yet you're discussing things behind closed doors. You can't confirm if the discussion was about a representative that was elected by the people of Tennessee. How is this transparent? I'm just trying to like really understand. Yeah, again, you know, we absolutely transparent. Go to the website anytime you want. You're see every single committee meeting. You're going to see any, you know, notices of anything that deals with legislation or anything of that nature. When you have any number of people that are all part of a group, from time to time they need to discuss issues that are not pertinent to um, state matters or legislation or budget issues or anything else that is okay, absolutely wide open. How can you separate of, both? I mean, how can you separate lawmakers from like... Well, we do it every day. I mean, there, there are obviously things that you talk about with your friends or amongst your business or I'm sure at each one of y'all's news offices that are not open to the public. They're simply issues that are for that group to discuss with one another. Um, sometimes it deals with personal conflict. Sometimes it deals with personnel issues. Sometimes it's just the fact that there are issues they want to talk about with one another. And I'm sorry I'm being vague, but, you know, it's a closed caucus meeting for a reason. If we're not discussing state business, if we're not discussing anything that affects whether a member is a member of this body or not, which we didn't, I mean, I, I can tell you right now one topic we did not discuss uh, was any resolution or any matter that would be on the floor for tomorrow. It was not talked about tonight. It simply was not addressed um, in this particular meeting. And so there were a lot of other things that were talked about. And quite frankly, it's been a pretty tumultuous last couple of months for all of our members. And I thought it was a good opportunity for them to merely get into a room and talk about whatever they wanted to with each other. The key distinction being, of course, that we are not taxpayer funded as individual news organizations or families. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I don't begrudge you guys the opportunity to do that. But the, the caucus in itself is an entity that is organized as the Republicans that serve. And our Democratic colleagues have done this on a regular basis as well, where their caucus meetings have been closed. And so, and I don't begrudge them that. I understand that from time to time, that's simply a healthy discussion. So, of course, the uh, closure of the caucus meetings is, is something that the caucus is entitled to do. But I think it raises questions when you have 73 members who can essentially direct the state and the future of public policy in Tennessee and or make financial decisions that that taxpayers essentially are paying uh, for, uh, you know, why there isn't the openness that, the, that uh, you know, um, uh, one would hope to have. And so it also forces us to resort 
resort to, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, ways that some people may find questionable, right? Joel, ear to the door, Ebert over here, uh, <laughs> ruffled some feathers at the first caucus meeting. And the then week. at the second one. <laughs> then again at the second. Uh, so when we were able to report the David Byrd news, it really frustrated members of the caucus, some of them, I don't know about all, um, to the point where Robin Smith, a, a freshman a representative, is uh, calling for some kind of inquiry or, or ethics investigation uh, into set uh, quote unquote leaks in the caucus. Yeah, I mean, we, we wouldn't want people to be able to, to speak freely. No, I mean, that sounds like terrible, right? Oh, that would be awful. <laughs> that would be democracy? No. Uh. <laughs> so so we were able to, to figure out some of what they were talking about at these meetings. Um, one, one order of business was, was pretty weird. Uh, so we did have a story about this. Um, it, was, it was about Rick Tillis and his alleged involvement, or according to Andy Holt and William Lambert, his admitted involvement in an anonymous Twitter account called CHB Mole, that's a reference to the Cordell Hull building where the legislative offices are, are kept. It's a Twitter account that um, it, it, it went live sometime during session and essentially just tweeted out building gossip, um, frequently targeting Republican members and staffers. Um, and so apparently for hours over the course of a couple days, the House Republican caucus was, was in a room talking about whether Rick Tillis should face any kind of disciplinary action for his involvement in this, um, it, it doesn't sound like he he had a major role in the account, but he has admitted to being a part of it. And, and essentially, Andy Holt and and some other people who are on board with Andy Holt are saying that you know this is this is undermining his own caucus. Someone like this shouldn't be in leadership. Rick Tillis was, um, of course, frustrated with Cassidy's leadership this past session, and um, certainly wasn't someone who was a big Cassidy supporter. Wasn't the only one either. Definitely wasn't the only one. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the resolution of, of what happened in that caucus meeting is still unclear. We've heard uh, there were threats of lawsuits from one member against Tillis. Yeah, they're going to start suing each other. Um, uh, it, it certainly sounds like as a caucus that is trying to move to the next page and the next chapter of uh, the Tennessee legislature, uh, it still has the phrase that we once uh, that we've seen over, you know, over and over again uh, in previous years. So as the leadership kind of takes over, they're going to be met with those challenges of uh, members leaking, members, you know, undermining each other. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah, and I think it's it's important how Cameron Sexton is going to handle this because the reason for for some of the leaks and some of the the anonymous tweeting and and doing things so secretively this past session was because of uh, the the environment that that Glenn Cassida essentially cultivated in which people at least they said they didn't feel free to speak uh, openly or candidly for fear of uh, of Glenn Cassida you know taking out on them and giving them a poor committee assignment or or primarying them or whatever else. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if if Cameron Sexton potentially relaxing the environment a little bit as far as individual members' freedom to, to be themselves and to speak openly, whether that would just naturally cut down on some of the need for leaks. Of course, uh, the other thing that kind of signals a new direction for uh, the House Republican caucus is the election of Jeremy Faison. Uh, he was somebody that was a vocal critic of Speaker Cassida during his time. He was kind of put on just the the very extreme far back bench of the caucus, wasn't really consulted. Uh, and he's somebody that has been outspoken with his criticism uh, of 
uh, Speaker Cassida. And so the fact that 41 members got together and voted for him, was it 40? 40. 40, I'm sorry, uh, voted for him, uh, really signals a new move and a new direction for the caucus. Yeah, I mean, he was essentially the face of the the anti-Cassida faction in the the House Republican caucus this past session. He he lost his committee chairmanship. He, um, he, He wasn't... He wasn't well respected by Cassida, and he was sort of on the the outskirts of, of things because he wasn't in the um, he wasn't in the middle of the action. He wasn't given the the good assignments, or he wasn't um, see, seen as a leader in the caucus this past session. Um, he was he was of course a leader of the the charge to speak out against Cassida and what he would describe as a leader who was creating a culture of fear, which is what he told us on the record when when other people wouldn't speak openly. Uh, Jeremy Faison did that this past session. Of course, as we we look to wrap up, there were a couple of mi- other minor changes that occurred last week when uh, Speaker Sexton took office. Natalie, mostly uh, they were uh, committee changes, but he named uh, Curtis Johnson, who was the second place vote getter uh, uh, when he ran for Speaker uh, as Deputy Speaker. What is what is it? Deputy, deputy Speaker, yeah, yeah deputy which speaker. is uh, not to be confused with Speaker Pro Tem, which is a position you would run for. Deputy Speaker is is appointed by the speaker um, at the speaker's discretion. And yeah, Curtis Johnson was someone who who ran against uh, Cameron this summer for the um, caucus nomination for speaker. He had ran against Cassida back last fall for the caucus nomination for speaker. Um, you know, largely seen as a as a moderate, middle of the road, very stable uh, representative. He he was not very outspoken this session about anything after Cassidy became speaker. Uh, he sort of just kept his head down, and he he certainly wasn't a, a vocal Cassidy supporter by any means. Um, but yeah, Cameron Sexton decided to to make him his deputy speaker, and uh, it, it sort of goes along with this whole theme of of some of the people who were sort of put on the back bench under Cassidy's leadership are now uh, ascending into caucus leadership again and, and leadership in the House. And Johnson takes over for uh, Matthew Hill, who has been since uh, essentially reassigned to uh, oversee what committee is it again? They, he, they so Cameron Sexton created a new subcommittee for Matthew Hill to chair. It's the it's the it's under the finance committee. It's called the appropriation subcommittee. Uh, he was formerly chair of the the ten care subcommittee. Also was chairman of the ethics, the House Ethics Committee. He's been taken off that as well. Curtis Johnson has been put in that role. So Matthew Hill, who was who was you know one of Cass's right hand men, certainly has sort of taken a hit with his ability to to be influential in the House right now. As did Andy Holt, who was on the uh, House Finance Committee subcommittee. Uh, uh, he was the chairman of that, and he has been since moved to, I guess, agriculture subcommittee. subcommittee. Um, yeah. So obviously these are some moves, but I think uh, Sexton at least tried to throw a bone enough to keep some of these members who could cause trouble yeah. uh, satisfied yeah, in some he, sense. He could have given Matthew Hill nothing, but you know he, it does appear he, he made this new subcommittee for him. And I think another notable um, committee change is that David Hawk is is now has Matthew Hill's old role as a, the chairman of the 10 care subcommittee. David Hawk, just like Faison, was was one of the most outspoken mem- Republican members against Cassida uh, this session. He, you know, all the way down to apparently getting like a crappy parking place. He was, um, he was essentially, you know, cast out after not supporting Glenn Cassida and uh, was was rarely afraid to say so. 
And now finally, notebook dump. Uh, Steve Gill, conservative commentator and co-founder of the Tennessee Star, which is a right-wing Breitbart-like website, uh, has been put in jail for not paying his back pay child support to his ex-wife. As of this recording, he is still in Williamson County Jail. And finally, Governor Bill Lee last Friday took a trip on the state plane to Shelby County. Uh, He apparently went there for, quote, meetings, according to his spokesperson. And then later that night uh, also was the main speaker at the Shelby County Republican Party. Uh, A reminder that this was kind of a similar practice taken by a former House Speaker, Glenn Cassida, who uh, traveled to a political event on the state plane. And that raised questions, including to the point of uh, a member of the campaign finance registry registry, uh, saying that that's part of the reason why he opened up an inquiry into Cassidy's finances. That's all for Grand Divisions this week. Uh, as always, you can find us on Tuesdays, wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us. We hope to have on uh, Jeremy Faison as our guest next week so we can talk all things Republican caucus, including more on those closed door hearings uh, or meetings. I'm sorry. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. This podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.